Hello, welcome to Stump Death and Taxes. I'm Meep, also known as Mary Pat Campbell. Today, I'm talking about prostate cancer mortality trends, so talking about death. But first, I'm going to talk about my Movember fundraiser, which is related to prostate cancer. I've been raising money for the Movember Foundation since 2017. I've actually donated to Movember since before 2017. It is a nonprofit that uh, focuses on prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and men's mental health. It was founded back in 2004 by a bunch of bros in Australia where they challenge each other to <laughs> shave off their facial hair and grow a mustache in order to raise funds for prostate cancer. And it started out fairly simple for prostate cancer screening. And I will be talking a little bit more about that in a bit. In the show notes, I will drop the links to my own personal fundraisers. So I have a link to my Mo space. So that's at the Movember Foundation site, but also a link to my Facebook fundraiser. It they, The money will all get accumulated to the same fundraiser, but it, sometimes it's easier for people to do it through Facebook versus the Mo space. Either way, and there's also options for anonymous donations, I think through the Mo space, depending on what you want to do. Um, so I'll drop those things first thing, you know, <laughs> prioritize that. Uh, I'll get a little more into that story towards the end of the podcast, but I really will get into the prostate cancer mortality trend because mortality trends is my thing. Um, prostate cancer is, you know, one of the top cancers for men. Uh, one in six men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer, and the survival rates for prostate cancer have improved significantly for men. And I'll talk a little bit about that, but of course, as you know, my focus tends to be death and uh, death rates. Um, the death rate trend for men in the U.S. for prostate cancer it had been a kind of, you know, iffy one. I, I pushed it back to 1968. If I had done just the statistics to 1999, which is the CDC Wonder Database, kind of comes in, I'll say, generations. And it's based on the codes. So we have ICD-10 and before that ICD-9. And the database is kind of broken up by, you know, these generations of code. So 1999 is where we had the ICD-10 start. And that's why most of my graphs for the death trends start in 1999, because I don't necessarily feel like pushing it back to the prior um, generations. Um, before that, I have ICD-9, and let me look at my database. Yeah, and so that's from 1979 to 1998, and then I'll have the ICD-8, and that's like 1968 to 1978, and I have to do separate database calls. I have to uh, query separate separate databases to get those statistics. Well, I went to the trouble last year to get those statistics so that I could push it back as far as I could. And then what you see for the overall 
trend is from 1968 to, you know, about, mm, I'll say 1994 or so, 1993, there was an increasing trend of death rates, whether it was crude rate. And so remember, crude rate is just total number of deaths over the total population. Um, so that was increasing deaths due to prostate cancer, uh, but also the age-adjusted rate. So the age-adjusted rate is where we normalize the death rates to make it so that the age distribution, so we do it up in different age buckets, and it's usually in these 10-year age buckets, um, and then we weight the death rates for each of those 10-year age buckets so that we have a standardized age distribution. doesn't matter. Even it's the same kind of trend. The age-adjusted rate was also increasing from 1968 to the early 1990s. And so you may be wondering, well, why was it increasing? Now, um, you know, I don't know the answer. My guess, because I know what was going on with other causes of death during the same time, was that deaths due to heart disease was decreasing during that period. Now, why would that be? Well, obviously treatment was improving, but part of it was due to smoking was decreasing. Uh, and that had a lot of knock-on effects. Smoking, a lot of people don't realize really the magnitude of effect of smoking. And uh, that caused a whole bunch of heart disease deaths and also lung cancer, obviously. Well, but you will die of something. What was happening is men were living longer. And the longer you live, the more chances you have to get cancer. And I'm sorry, that is the case. Uh, you will die of something eventually. Something's going to get you, you know, going to get you, going to get you. Um, and partly what was happening, I believe, is what I would call a substitution effect. That because the men weren't dying of heart disease at a younger age, so they weren't getting those heart attacks in their 50s, they were getting cancer and dying from cancer. And, the, and here's the second part. The cancers weren't being detected until they were very far advanced. Because what happened in the 1990s to turn this trend around, because after it peaked in about the mid-1990s, it started coming down dramatically. Both age-adjusted rate and crude rate really shot down. Like, woo, it was, it's a ski hill and really shot down until about the mid-20-teens. Um, and then it stalled out, and I'll talk about the stalling out in a moment. Well, what happened in the 1990s to make this change? What happened was the PSA blood test. So, I'm sorry, the, the state of the art in prostate cancer detection uh, before the 1990s was the digital rectal exam and meant, you know, rubber glove and all of those jokes. And I mean, yes, it's still used, but an enlarged prostate, unfortunately, can be a later stage of the prostate cancer 
the tumor is large enough to be detected. It's just like a, a large tumor in breast cancer or large tumor anywhere. If you can detect prostate cancer when it is very, very small, which is not going to be detected by a digital rectal exam, I'm sorry, um, that would be fabulous. So how are you going to detect that? I found a paper from 2015, which was a survey paper uh, that collected all of the uh, evidence of, and it was the history of the PSA test and also the evidence of how it affected uh, prostate cancer mortality. So I'm going to quote, here's the quote, in the early 1990s, it was first demonstrated that the PSA blood test could be used as a first-line screening test for prostate cancer, which led to the approval of the PSA test by the United States Food and Drug Administration as an aid to the early detection of prostate cancer. PSA derivatives such as PSA velocity, PSA density, and the free-to-total PSA ratio, also FDA-approved, serve to improve the accuracy of PSA testing. More recently, other PSA isoforms, such as the DASH-2 Pro-PSA, have been found to be a more cancer-specific biomarker for prostate cancer, which has led to FDA approval of the Prostate Health Index, PHI, PHI in 2013. So this was from 2015. Um, so that was, these are all the different tests that can be performed on PSA because of course you can have elevated PSA. I'm sorry, I'm getting out of the quote. I'll get back to quote in a moment. Um, so there's a lot of different PSA related tests that can help, uh, detect prostate cancer at early stages, uh, without doing a biopsy. And, you know, and this is far more effective than the digital rectal exam. Um, so now getting back to the paper, so the next paragraph, the next section, here's the quote, PSA testing reduces prostate cancer specific mortality. During the PSA era in the United States, the proportion of patients having advanced disease at diagnosis has decreased by 80%, and the age-adjusted prostate cancer mortality rate has decreased by more than 42%. Statistical modeling studies have estimated that 45% to 70% of this mortality decrease is attributed directly to PSA screening. Similar trends have been observed in countries that have adopted widespread PSA screening, but not in those that have not adopted PSA screening. Two large prospective randomized clinical trials in Europe have demonstrated a 21% and 44% respectively decrease in prostate cancer-specific mortality associated with PSA screening. So um, again, on the show notes, I will link to my recent prostate cancer mortality posts. So one of my posts is on the overall rate change. And then one is on what has happened by age. And the over a 20-year period, we have seen a vast drop in the mortality rates. So from 1991 to 2001, just an amazing drop in mortality when we split it out by age group, especially the age 55 to 64 year group, um, but even at older ages. And of course, the highest mortality for prostate cancer mortality is at the age 85 and above. 
We even saw a large mortality improvement from 2001 to 2011. Unfortunately, and so here is, I'm sorry, the bad news. And it, you know, some people like want, would love to say pandemic, but the bad news is been the last 10 years. It's not the pandemic. Um, I had gone into this thinking, oh, right, people were missing cancer screening during the pandemic. But no, this is something that preceded the pandemic. And when I thought about it, I remembered why. Um, so from 2011 to 2021, for the age group 65 to 74 years, there has been zero improvement on prostate cancer mortality. Um, zero improvement. Okay, it's stalled out. Now, there has been improvement on some of the age groups still uh, over that decade, but for the 65 to 74-year-old age group, there has been no change in their mortality rate due to prostate cancer. Um, so why? Why has there been a stalling out in prostate cancer mortality? And my argument is that it's because the recommendation for prostate cancer screening has changed, and I had forgotten that had happened. Um, so... The American Cancer Society are being diplomatic. I found, I went looking and I found their post. And I also had found a recent, actually this year, uh, study that someone had put out that mentioned, and that was just based on pre-pandemic experience where they have found basically a lack of improvement in prostate cancer mortality. And it's because of the change in the prostate cancer screening um, recommendations. So I'm going to read, this is, okay, this is from a page that was titled Five Years After Guidelines Recommended, uh, I mean, Recommend Against Routine Prostate Cancer Screening, Later Stage Cancers Continue to Increase, dash, for unknown reasons. I think we know what the reasons are. Anyway, here's the quote. The challenge. In 2008, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, USPSTF, recommended against regular prostate-specific antigen, PSA, screening for men aged 75 and older. And four years later, in 2012, they recommended against routine PSA screening for all men. See current ACS recommendations for prostate cancer early detection. Since then, using data through 2015, studies have reported that incidence rates for prostate cancer confined to the prostate, local stage disease, have declined. But incidence rates have increased for prostate cancer that spread to areas near and far from the prostate, known as regional and distant stage disease, respectively. However, those studies did not include the most recent data available through 2016. So I believe this was posted up in 2017 or 2018. Yeah, and that's the end of, I mean, and that was me inserting my own voice. So I am not an oncologist. I am not a doctor or anything like that. I think it is pretty clear that the 
prostate cancer mortality did improve directly because of routine PSA screening because it did catch prostate cancer when it was at its most treatable. The argument was, and I do remember when this changed, the argument was that there were a lot of prostate cancers that would have been slow growing and would not have caused mortality. And I understand that argument. But, you know, from direct experience, and this is, and I will be talking about direct experience in a moment, advanced cancer, when it gets spreads throughout your body, is, I mean, that is a high percentage mortality situation. And the treatment for that is far more harsh than when it is local to the prostate. I think part of the problem is also back in 2008. And I mean, I could be very dismissive because the um, you didn't get recommendations like this for breast cancer, by the way. Notice they never said anything like this for breast cancer in mammograms. So the um, screening <laughs> so talk about direct personal experience. So, you know, I've had to do regular mammograms and yeah, that, uh, you know, I've had situations where they saw something and then they said, you know, we think it's small, it's very localized. Let's come back in six months and try again. Let's not do a biopsy right now. And I agreed. And I went back in six months and whatever it had been disappeared. That, But you're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And weren't you worried? I'm like, well, no, not really. But there's, it's not because it's like, if it's cancer, then we'll deal with it in six months. It's because I have enough to deal with. That's really why. Um, and it's not because there's not a chance of cancer because I have a sister who had breast cancer and it was, um, you know, she is pretty serious. And But hers was of a different nature in terms of how hers presented because um, it was a different shape and yada, yada. I don't want to go down. That was her story, not mine. Um, but also I'm just going to say it, just to be a little bit, you know, men are very sensitive about losing sexual function. And I think a lot of the treatments back then for prostate cancer involved removing or damaging the prostate, which of course had some effects on, um, you know, sexual performance. And so they were like, well, the problem is all these men are getting treated for prostate cancer and then feeling disappointed. Like, well, why did we do this? Uh, and and the, the thing is the treatment now in 2022 is not necessarily that harsh for early stage and local prostate cancer. Um, it is pretty damaging and pretty harsh if you have advanced prostate cancer and it's in your bones. Okay. <laughs> that is, and it, and that doesn't necessarily involve removing your prostate, but it doesn't involve some pretty harsh treatments and it's not curable. So let me get into Stuart's story. His 
advanced prostate cancer, also known as metastatic prostate cancer, as in it spread throughout all of Stuart's body. It was in his bones. It He lit up the CT scan like a Christmas tree. And it was detected far too late, though, uh, just given the schedule of uh, when he was screened. And this was like, you know, you know, given his age, I think it was screened every two years situation at the time. And it was an aggressive cancer. So this was just bad luck. So that's another aspect. You know, a lot of people think, oh, if I only live this way and that way, I'll never get cancer. No, I'm sorry, guys. Um, It's not that inevitably cancer is going to get you. It's just that you can control only so many things with your lifestyle choices. Yes, bad lifestyle choices make cancer far more likely if you smoke. Um, Smoking really really adjusts the risk factors in major ways. But Stuart had been a vegan for over 20 years. He had very good lifestyle choices, as it were. It doesn't matter. He'd still get cancer. Um, Lots of people with, quote, good lifestyle choices get cancer. You can do everything right. You can do all the screening choices. And and like, oh, do you have the genetic factors? It's the genes we know about. No, he doesn't have the genetic factors that we know about, okay? You can't always anticipate. You can't always control. So I'm sorry. I'm not, it's like, oh, you freak me out. Well, that's life, okay? You can't always control. You can't always anticipate. Cancer might get you, okay? Ah, creepy. Okay. Um, Anyway, that's advanced prostate cancer. He had very harsh treatment. You have the infusion chemo that everyone thinks about. The hair really thinned. All of his facial hair, like, melted off. Well, no, it just came off. Um, And what they don't tell you is some of the hair that goes away includes things like your eyelashes. And that really is weird. And, of course, what happens with your fingernails and toenails. Oh, they don't tell you those come off. Um, I'm not going to gross you out anymore. But yeah, the infusion chemo is extremely harsh. You don't want the cancer to spread throughout your body. You don't want distal. You don't want uh, advanced prostate cancer. I made the mistake of looking up the statistics um, of if you get diagnosed at advanced stage prostate cancer, the survival statistics, and those are always quoted at as five year, but they also give you one year survival and that kind of thing. The thing is the paper was 20 years old and the survival for one year was 50% and for five years was 2%. Now that was old. Treatment has come so far And um, from so much research, from so much experimentation, and even in the five years, so Stuart did reach his five-year survival, obviously. Um, But the thing is, the cancer he has with advanced prostate cancer, it's not curable. It's treatable. So the infusion chemo beat back the cancer cells that were spread throughout his body. And chemo, remember, is basically a poison. You're trying to kill the cancer cells. So it killed the cancer cells it could get to, but it kills, of course, living cells in your body. That's why your hair and your toenails and your fingernails all fall off. I mean, they grew back, but some of them grew back. Um, 
that's actually some of the irony. So for Movember, the fundraiser, obviously I can't shave off my facial hair and grow a mustache. Um, I just fundraise, you know, I just raise funds for this. And the kind of programs Movember raises, most of it is to programs for support groups and to promote screening. And of course, they're hoping men get the regular screening. So yeah, I mean, and this is why I'm saying I'm not an oncologist, I'm not a doctor, etc. But my only comment is these screening recommendations are not necessarily in your best interest as an individual. They say, oh, you know, let, there shouldn't be routine screening because there could be false positives. Yeah, or it's not that there's false positives, frankly. Um, and PSA can be elevated for a variety of reasons, but that's, if you heard my um, earlier remark, it's not just PS, elevated PSA, there's this PSA velocity, PSA density, free to total PSA ratio, there's all different kinds of PSA tests there um, to try to distinguish PSA uh, levels due to cancer versus there's other reasons PSA could be elevated. Um, so that you don't have biopsies unnecessarily. But the other issue is, and this is why they changed the recommendation, and why it was 75 and older is like, oh, the, the, it could be a slow-growing tumor and the man will die of something else before the cancer becomes anything. Um, but the problem is with 75, they're forgetting most men are living into their 80s now. That's the other issue, that the health statistics or the health reality changes before, you know, changes well after they make this recommendation and they don't want to admit they're wrong. Um, so it just, it becomes kind of silly to me. So as an individual, and I don't know what the cost for these PSA tests are now, it's kind of irrelevant for Stuart, um, he is going to be treated for his cancer. He has to take daily pills that are essentially chemo pills. Um, so he's not on the infusion chemo anymore. He's on, uh, you know, it's being treated as a chronic condition because the cancer is in his bones and it's not going to come out in the current state of treatment. Um, so he takes, you know, drug cocktails, as it were, and he goes to the White Plains Cancer, the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in White Plains uh, monthly uh, for check-ins and, and he gets shots and other treatments as well from them. But it's being treated as a chronic condition because they can't cure it. They can treat it. They try to keep the cancer contained to try to keep it from growing further. There may be a point at which the treatments can no longer contain the cancer and the cancer will win. Um, but the hope is that something else will kill him first. Um, that's kind of how it works now for that kind of cancer. But again, you, you would rather detected early. And it's, it is amazing. So in this 20 year period, uh, the survival rates for prostate cancer really have improved, but it stalled out and it's, and it stalled out, I think, because a lot of people are not getting the prostate cancer detected at an early stage. And that's kind of sad. Um, but getting back to Movember, I will have some more posts, 
um, I, I think I might do one more post on prostate cancer because uh, I do have some statistics on the rates by state, but it's not really by the information is not actually, I did see some rate differences by state, but it's really not anything about the states. It's actually about the racial and ethnic mix. I, I mean, I'll just give it away. Um, the, the issue is there's a huge racial gap on mortality rates by prostate cancer and black men specifically have a really high uh, death rate for prostate cancer compared to other races and ethnicities in the U.S. Um, and it's been persistent. Um, so I'll do a trend on that so you can take a look at that. I'm doing, again, I'm doing this fundraiser. I've, you know, I've, I'm about halfway to my fundraising goal. Uh, which is $2,000. I've been, as I said, I've been fundraising since 2017 and have been building up my goals last year in 2021. I did make it past $2,500 in my fundraising and it'd be great if I got past that again in 2022. Um, but we'll see how far I get. I'll drop those links in the show notes. Um, and it, again, in this, uh, in this month, it's not just prostate cancer. It's also testicular cancer. It's, which is not as prominent in prostate cancer. And it tends to be, I think, younger men for testicular cancer where that might be a concern. Um, but the real big one is men's mental health. So later I will have a post on men and suicide. Uh, and uh, drug overdoses. Uh, that is really uh, that is really a crisis with regards to drug ODs. I mean, it is men and women, but the there is a huge sex gap both with suicide and drug ODs. Um, for the drug ODs, obviously, it's fentanyl that's really driving the current epidemic in uh, in the drug OD deaths in the U.S. and it jumped during the pandemic and it's continuing to be bad. Um, not sure if we're going to be able to tamp that really bad trend down. It's just continuing to go up and I've not seen it reverse course, unlike with prostate cancer. So, um, you know, I've been supporting Movember Foundation and I mentioned I was donating to Movember Foundation before I started the, the fundraisers in on my own behalf, as it were, in 2017, because since before 2017, this large, there's been a large sex gap in mortality forever. And uh, the, at all ages, there is a higher mortality rate for men than women. Uh, the age-adjusted death rate uh, males to females in the U.S., it's 40% higher, uh, it, it, like almost all years. It actually got worse during the pandemic, and this is for a variety of reasons. It's not just the, you know, the external causes of death like homicide and suicide, which and accidental causes of death from risky behavior, but also natural causes of death such as cancer and heart disease. And, you know, some of it is because men are not getting the health care they need. 
And some of it is due to biological factors. So, um, you know, so I've been supporting men's health for many years. And part of this is due to my own father dying at a very unnaturally young age, at age 38, from a heart attack. Um, part of that was influenced by his own, you know, risk, uh, bad behavior in terms of being a smoker uh, for half his life. But, you know, you don't die of a heart attack at age 38 in general as a smoker. Most people, most smokers don't. Uh, so there are also other genetic and biological factors involved in that, not just being a smoker. Um, so that's been Stump, Death and Taxes. Talk to y'all later. Bye-bye.